Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Days of Roar, a Detroit Tiger podcast brought to you by the Detroit Free Press. My name is Mark Gorosh. I'm here with Detroit Tigers beat writer, Evan Petzold, who had a nice week at home this week, produced a bunch of interesting content. What up, Ev? Yeah, I mean, man, a lot's happened, hasn't it? I mean, it just really does seem like we were recording a few days ago, but really it was a week ago and... A lot's gone down since then. Everything from, you know, some guys becoming minor league free agents to Scott Harris talking at the GM meetings to some coaching staff changes to a little bit more clarity on, hey, who the Tigers could go after in free agency to a brand new TV play-by-play announcer. So, like, so much stuff has happened over this past week. It's, it, it's been kind of intense, but it's also a good thing. I guess just to kind of start, if you want to let me rant, I'll rant. I mean, it's... Some roster moves went down. That was right after our podcast. The Tigers added Kyder Montero to the 40-man roster, a prospect that, Mark, we both really like. That's somebody that there was a certain someone in the Tigers organization, you know, during the, the lockout when they had the minor league mini camp, they came up to me and said, hey, Evan, Kyder Montero, real deal. Watch out for him. Now he's on the 40-man. We're going to get to see him pitch in the big leagues in the 2024 season. Definitely excited about that. Tigers also made some other roster moves, reinstating guys from the 60-day injured list. That was Casey Mize, Freddie Pacheco, Tyler Alexander, Riley Green, Austin Meadows. Tyler Alexander was designated for assignment. He was arbitration eligible. The Tigers would have had to pay him about $2 million for his services next year. They decided, nope, we're going to DFA him. The Tampa Bay Rays picked him up off waivers. That'll be interesting to follow throughout 2024. Trey Wingenter and Andrew Vasquez, they both clear waivers and were outrighted to AAA Toledo. Now, both of those relievers rejected the assignment in favor of free agency. Those are the noteworthy roster moves, but we can't forget about Zach Short, nicknamed Shorty in the clubhouse. He was claimed off waivers by the New York Mets. So Zach Short, adios. It's been good. One of the best guys in the clubhouse, an absolute class act, accepted his role, did what he did, what he did and did it well for what he was being asked to do. Now he gets to go and get an opportunity with the Mets. He's from New York. He loved the, the hometown type story there. A couple other things. Tigers picked up the option on Carson Kelly. And we can get into that a little bit later maybe. And then obviously picked up the uh, club option on outfielder Mark Canna as well. Eduardo Rodriguez, to keep it going, um, he decided to opt out of his contract. We all knew that was happening. We talked about it last week, but that became official. He opted out. Javier Baez opted in. Those were the big roster moves. But Mark... There are more, right? There's more to talk about, isn't there? There is much more to talk about. I did want to share that Zach Short, I'm really glad he got most of a year into Mm -hmm. the big leagues. Did a lot of fun stuff last year. Also, at the same time, I just want to remind everybody that he had three hits in his last 32 at-bats in September. He was 19 for his last 98. And pretty much did almost nothing after a pretty good May where he hit 243. It went downhill very fast. The Tigers have so many shortstops that they can use in lieu of Zach Short that it'll be a competition in spring training in itself, you know, with Ryan Kreidler, Edis Leonard. There's a few more I'm not even thinking about. And I'm in the camp um, of the Tigers should maybe it, make a trade for a shortstop prospect, but oh, that's that's just me. Yes. Yes. And, you know, we'll, we'll get to this later. I actually saw somebody that obviously was probably either drunk or had taken way too many edibles who suggested the idea that, you know, the Tigers or, you know, could make a deal of uh, Jonathan India for Tarek Skubal. 
And I will try to refrain from laughing now, but I, I did laugh for a good 10 minutes when I saw that. People, stop suggesting trades because it's just a terrible idea. We suggest trades, but that's yeah, our sometimes job those are terrible ideas, trades. aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're terrible ideas, even when we do it and we know what we're doing. Uh, we think we also, know what we're doing. I, I found it po- a, a positive move that Joey Cora was hired to come and probably coach third base. I know he has a pre-existing relationship with Javi Baez. I think that's a good thing. I think you learned a few things about Javi Baez's off-season plans. If you want to fold them into this discussion right now. Yeah, I mean, we can riff on it for a second. I mean, I think it's important to kind of touch on it. I haven't gotten to, you know, writing the story yet, so I don't want to give too much away. Freep.com, you know, check it out this week. I'm going to be coming out with some good stuff, uh, both on Javi Baez, and that's something that I promised you guys before that got pushed back a little bit, but it's the Tigers and their interest in um, the pitching market in Japan and kind of how that could unfold. We might touch on that a little bit, but uh, again, I want to save the good stuff. Oh, we're, t- we're, we're, I gotta, we're, Mark, we're I got to save the it. good stuff for Freep.com. You know how that goes. But look, Tigers hired Joey Cora. I think it's great. Javier Baez has a good relationship with Alex Cora. He obviously knows Joey Cora as well, you know, all being Puerto Rican, right? And that's kind of the, the big, you know, news right now when it comes to the coaching staff. Um, the Tigers have decided, uh, from what I've been told by now a couple people, that um, Gary Jones is going to move off third base and into the bench. They're going to redefine his role. That will allow Joey Cora to become the new third base coach of the Detroit Tigers. But that also means the Tigers still need a first base coach. And I've been told by a couple people as well that it sounds like that's going to be Anthony Iaposi, the AAA Toledo manager. Now, that's not final yet, but it sure sounds like Iaposi is going to be the first base coach, which then means the Tigers are going to need a AAA manager. I've heard that Gabe Alvarez, the AA Erie manager who interviewed for the opening that went to Joey Cora, is probably going to be returning to AA Erie again. So... Maybe Ryan Garko decides, hey, look, you know, Ryan Garko, you know, director of player development. Maybe he says, hey, look, I want to promote Gabe Alvarez to Toledo. Maybe he really likes Alvarez at that, you know, double A level where that's when the competition really becomes the competition. That's when you really got to figure out, hey, like, is this guy a real dude or or is he not going to cut it? And I think that's a really good spot for Gabe, but also you, you know, want to promote your guy and get him to Toledo. So, so we'll see what the Tigers end up doing. That's obviously a chain reaction of things that would have to happen, right? When once Joey Cora becomes finalized, which, you know, he's going to be on the staff. As long as Anthony Iaposi moves up as the first base coach, then you got to figure out what are you going to do with the AAA, you know, managerial spot. I also think Tony Capicelli could be a great option for them. He's been in Toledo for a while. I've heard great things about him, and, and I think he would be a perfect fit for manager there as well. But that's the coaching staff. The Javier Baez stuff is kind of baseline i don't want to i want to tease a little bit of it but look this guy is bouncing between tampa and puerto rico now as opposed to puerto rico only he is working with a very well-known hitting coach that i don't want to give too much away but again a very well-known hitting coach especially a very well-known hitting coach who's out there on twitter and may have worked with some hitters who are very good at hitting for power I'll, I'll leave it at that, Mark. No guesses because I think you might pick up on it. But yeah, so look, this guy's going to try to redefine everything that he's doing this offseason. He's going to put in the work with his body. That's kind of the game plan is getting that core right, getting his back right, getting him to a point where he's a little bit more stronger in the core because the bat speed is still there. The bat speed is still there. It's just he is, again, when you've swung that hard for that long, body's going to break down a little bit sooner. So it's rebuilding some of those muscles in the core and in the back and allowing yourself to unlock that you know, power that comes from the bat speed, right? And he's not going to change his approach. Javi Baez is still going to be Javi Baez. He's going to tick you off when he swings, you know, at pitches way outside. But the point is that when he makes contact, the goal is for him to be able to do damage again. So it starts with the core and it kind of continues into maybe some swing changes. Well, definitely some swing changes that he seems open to. Now, the big question with Javi Baez is, is he going to do it, right? The plan is in place. The resources are there. The Tigers have, you know, done numerous things to please Javi Baez from upgrading the clubhouse to a new team plane, to a cafeteria, to a multitude of hitting coaches. Like they have done everything to make Javi Baez feel as comfortable as possible in Detroit. Back-to-back years, it's not working. Now it's on him. It's really on him. So it's not just a, you know, oh, yeah, I want to make it work. It's like, no, is he going to put in the work? And is he going to put in the work not only for a week, 
not for two weeks, not for three weeks, but for the entire offseason to get him to spring training, showing up in a spot where he can do damage again. Now, he doesn't need to be a 40 home run guy. He needs to be a 20 home run guy who's going to step up in the clutch, hit you some doubles, you know, put up a good at bat every once in a while. And I'm not saying draw walks, but I'm saying, you know, put that fear in the opposing pitcher's eye like he used to. Because Javi Baez, the way that he used to hit, which was so spectacular, was he could hit any pitch. Wet, right? He would crush pitches inside the strike zone. And in the shadow zone, he would rake. And even, even in the chase zone, he would rake. And pitchers didn't know where to pitch him because the guy could get to anything and everything. And so I think, sure, there might be a little bit of that piece that's trying to be a little bit more selective, but he's not going to overhaul his approach. It's all about getting to that power again. Well, I'll be short and sweet about this because we have a special guest tonight who has a special relationship with Javi Baez. His name's Chris Castellini. And I'll save some of this for when Chris is on because I think Chris is at one end of the spectrum and Mark Gorash is at the other about this. But here's what I'm going to say. Last winter, Tigers had, had a hitter who frustrated literally every Tiger fan. Tiger management, his parents, his girlfriend, his mailman, pretty much everybody he came in contact with, mostly because he just couldn't be on time for a fastball. He worked really hard at it during the winter, and lo and behold, when he walked into spring training, he was on time, and he stayed on time all summer long. His name was Spencer Torkelson. And so my answer about Javi Baez in a short way, and we'll probably repeat this when we talk to Chris, I think the first and foremost thing that Javi Baez needs to do is is get himself back to a swing where he is on time for fastballs. He was just abysmal hitting the fastball this year. If he learns to be on time hitting fastballs with the bad speed he has, he's going to hit 20 homers at a minimum. And I'm sure it will probably spread to other aspects and other pitches. He used to also just absolutely brutalize middle sliders, middle curveballs, anything in the middle of the plate that was off speed, he just crushed. So I'm excited to see him try a slightly different approach. And I've never questioned whether Javier Baez wanted to be good or it was important to him. I think if you are doing that, you don't really know him and you're just mad at him for well, Mark, I do want to say, look, like so, Javi Baez is a guy that sure he wants to, to to play better, but at the same time, I think, you know, there is this component of him that, and just to be fair, right? Like he, he's a guy who's 30, he's going to be 31, you know, December 1st. And, and, you know, when you think about yourself, can you compare yourself to other players around the league? You probably don't think that like, oh, my body is breaking down or my body isn't the same at 30 going on 31, right? You look around the league, you see other players and you say, man, like I should be in my prime right now. I should be in my prime. And I do think that the age has caught up to him. And I think that's the piece that he has finally accepted. And that's what excites me. I think the age has caught up to him. For sure. If you look at the last, if you look at the last 12 months of the season, you know, both this year and last year, season six months, it's 185 days about. You know, Javi Baez hit well for six weeks in the 2022 season. He hit well for zero weeks in the 2023 season. But it's the acceptance so, of that. It's the acceptance you know, of that. He doesn't want to talk. He doesn't want to talk about it. He I, I, he doesn't want to talk well, about I, it. I, 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 he, do, he's he doesn't it. want to talk, it to, talk about it to you guys, but when you are good for six out of 52 weeks and you are somebody that's been the most valuable player in the World Series, I think you have a standard of excellence that's important to you. And from people that I've talked to both in his camp and with the Tigers as well is that like he's come around to that and he understands what he needs to do. The big question moving forward now, again, like I said, is he going to put in that work? Is it going to be more than a week, two weeks, three weeks? Is it going to be an entire off season of work? And it sure seems like everything is in place for him to do that. Now it's just him, again, making that conscious choice every day to get up and try to go be better. I, I'm going to say yes. I believe it so, too. No, I believe it. I, 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 I never questioned the effort aspect of Javi Baez. So, all right, let's get into the big two. First question of the big two. You were at norovirus infested Scottsdale, Arizona hotel where they had the GM meetings this week, where they actually terminated them on day three because... 
So many people got sick, which you did not because you are young, healthy, and have beautiful hair. So what did Scott Harris say? He had a, a platform for a day, he obviously did a press conference. So I want to try to get a feel for some of the things he told Evan Petzold and the rest of uh, your brother in there. Yeah, no, Scott Harris obviously coming into the GM meetings, probably feeling pretty good about himself after that Mark Canna trade, right? I mean, you kind of check off one of those boxes from the onset of the offseason to be able to tackle that is huge first and foremost. And you got to give him credit for that because what they were looking for is they were looking into free agency and in the trade market. And they essentially wanted a, an offensive player who could fit, you know, three criteria. They wanted to help, you know, someone that could help the Tigers, right. First and foremost, both currently performing and also, you know, projected to perform in 2024. They wanted somebody who could help in the clubhouse, you know, bringing, like this real presence, this grit, this toughness. And then it was also trying to find someone who was available, right? Who fits those needs. You know, you, you find somebody that says, okay, can you help us, you know, offensively? Can you help us in the clubhouse? You know, bringing a good presence, teaching the young players. We talked about that a lot last week. Go check out last week's episodes. We didn't hear about it. But like, I truly believe that Mark Canna, after talking to him, and after hearing Scott Harris talk, that he can really influence the young players. But then it's like, okay, like, where do we find that player? Where is that player available to us? And you go look up and down the free agent market and there aren't a ton of names out there for a, a one year, you know, $11.5 million deal. Like you just can't get that out there on the open market right now. Somebody that could meet all those needs and, and also follows the philosophy of the Tigers is also a veteran bat that, you know, doesn't really have a ton of regression concern. So those, those are all really good things. And I was able to check that off the list by trading for Mark Canna, you know, a high on-base guy who is going to do a lot for the Tigers behind the scenes as well as out in front in the lineup. So they checked that box off and Scott Harris is able to come into the GM meetings and he's able to, you know, get into this situation where now he can really, you know, focus on what's next. And what's next for the Tigers is pitching. The Tigers have Tarek Skubal, Casey Mize, Matt Manning, Reese Olsen, Sawyer Gibson-Long, Kyder Montero, Ty Madden, Jackson Job. All of those pitchers could factor into the starting rotation in 2024. Obviously, you know, Scoobal, Mize, Manning, Olsen, Gibson Long, probably the favorites to earn spots in the opening day roster, barring trades or injuries. I think the Tigers could still, you know, shot Matt Manning. I'm not so sure about Reese Olsen and Gibson Long just because of how young they are. Casey Mize, obviously not because he's just coming back off of an injury. I think the Tigers, obviously, you know, you put in all that work with Casey Mize, you're going to want to bring him back. Tarek Skubal, I think, could be a, a, a trade candidate, but you're going to have to get a ton back for him, which makes me think it's probably unlikely that that, that happens. So point is, you're going to need about a starting pitcher or two in free agency or in trade. And so it sounds like the Tigers are going to be targeting, you know, guys on one-year deals who... You know, sure, they might not move the needle, you know, big picture in terms of your Blake Snells or your Aaron Nolas or your Yashimoto Yamamoto's, but they're going to be guys that can come in on, say, one-year deals, and they're going to have some upside to them. You can put them on the Chris Fetter, Robin Lund program, try to make them better. And where the Tigers are at right now, they don't know if they're going to compete for the postseason in 2024, right? Like, there, there, there's not clarity in that. There isn't a, a, a definite push because what happens if Colt Key struggles? What happens if Justin Henry Malloy struggles? What happens if Jace Young struggles? What happens if Parker Meadows, you know, goes through his ups and downs? What if Torkelson, like, what if this is kind of Torkelson's ceiling where he's at right now? I don't think it is, but what if it is, right? What if Riley Green suffers another injury? Like, there are so many what ifs with this team right now that I don't think they can really bank on themselves going into 2024 as, yes, we're going after it. This is our year. We're making it to the postseason. If they make it, they're probably making it a year early. So going to these guys on one-year deals that are bounce-back candidates, high upside, it gives the Tigers an opportunity to you know, either A, keep them and extend them, right, if you're making the postseason, or B, trade them off the deadline if you're not in the mix. So that's really where I see them at, at this point. And that, that's a combination of what Scott Harris said, also what I have heard from some other agents and executives around the league, that those are the types of players that the Tigers are going to be targeting the rest of the way. They got the catcher situation handled, you know, right? Like they, they've taken care of their outfield depth. I think Akil Badu could be a trade candidate. We've mentioned that, you know, numerous times now, but you get Mark Candy at a bat. You really want to see what you can get from Colt Keith and Malloy and Jace Young. You don't want to block those guys. Pitching is the avenue. And those are the types of pitchers that they're looking at. Well, I think there's two tiers of pitchers they're going to look at on bounce back. They're going to be the higher end tier, which I can almost promise you if they sign any of those guys, 
and I've said this to you multiple times this week when we've discussed it, if they sign a guy like that, they're going to write a second-year option into those guys. And there's one particular guy that's a foreign import that would take a multi-year deal to get, which likely is somebody they should seriously consider because he's left-handed. But, you know, guys like Montas and Severino, who I think should be way up on the list, they're going to want to sign those guys to a year with a buyout option for a second year in case they're good, A, or B, in case they're good and the Tigers are not good and they want to deal them. The idea that those guys have a controllable second year only adds to their value. So a shrewd general manager is going to make sure they're adding to the trade value as well as, you know, getting them signed, you know, just in on a one-year deal. They're, they're going to try to increase, you know, you have to have some add some trade value when it's as simple as probably adding some option money for a second year. So that being said, uh, you wrote a great article that actually I think dropped today that were Indeed. 15 pitchers. Right. You did 15 pitchers that were possibilities for the Tigers. I suggest everybody go to the Freep and read it, but there is one particular pitcher that you have talked to me about for about three weeks now. Okay. His name is Shota Imanaga, who is a crafty left-hander. He actually was the winning pitcher in the World Baseball Classic when Japan pitched against the United States. He's crafty. He's got a really good change. Only throws about 92. Tremendous command. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about what you know about him, the level of Tiger's interest. And I think if we're going to go with the Gorosh's top five starting pitcher, free agent possibilities for the offseason of 2023-24, he's going to be number one at the top of the list. So talk to me about him. Yeah, I really like Imanaga. I mean, the guy's 30 years old, obviously comes from Japan. And that's what the Tigers want to do is they want to start this pipeline to Japan at some point. And and again, you have to build a foundation to be able to do that. It's not one of those overnight things where suddenly you can become a hotbed for, you know, pitchers from Japan. But you have to remember that Scott Harris was in Chicago when the Cubs brought in you Darvish. And so was Jeff Greenberg. They were there and they saw that and they saw the influence of that. You know, Jeff Greenberg was also there when they were able to bring in Seiya Suzuki and again, like those are valuable pieces to be able to add. And that's a market that the Tigers haven't tapped into. So I think Shota Imanaga is a guy that the Tigers have to be interested in. They have to be be looking in his direction. They're not going to be in the Yamamoto market. I, we've already talked about that. That's a pipe dream. It would be a lot of fun because he's a, he's a fantastic pitcher, probably the best in the market. And again, the guy's like 25. So, I mean, you're getting a free agent at 25 years old. That's pretty incredible. But, you know, Imanaga, yeah, like you kind of mentioned, he reminds me a lot of Eduardo Rodriguez. He's a left-handed pitcher. He kind of fits that mold of, you know, command over overpowering stuff. He's not going to blow you away, but at the same time, he's going to throw strikes. And, you know, he's obviously got the splitter and, you know, the splitter has been very effective in Major League Baseball over the last couple of years and seems to be trending that way as well. So I really like Imanaga. We'll see what happens. I'm going to have more in a story, Freep.com, about the Tigers' interest digging into Japan. And it's going to have some more, you know, intel on kind of what Imanaga is looking for, you know, coming out of, out of Japan and, you know, what guys like Yamamoto are looking for. Another name that we cannot forget about either, and I think that this could be a path for the Tigers as well, is Yuki Matsui, a 28-year-old left-handed reliever. I think that's another way that the Tigers could, you know, kind of get themselves into that Japanese market a little bit more, establish themselves. Another name that I mentioned too that I I don't really think can be overlooked, and I'm not super wild about this idea, unless the Tigers have come up with an idea that it is like the perfect fit, but Kenta Maeda is is a great option as well, right? Maeda is a guy who signed with the Los Angeles Dodgers out of Japan in 2016, and he wasn't very good coming off of Tommy John surgery. Then, you know, went back to the injured list, came off the injured list. And he was really good in his final 17 games of the season with the Minnesota Twins. And I'm not saying that, and right, and I'm not saying that he's a perfect option because, you know, again, fastball is at like 90-91, but the nasty combination of the splitter and slider is great. But if the Tigers want to establish themselves in Japan and they want to create that foundation, is there any better way than signing a guy like Kenta Maeda and giving him a first-class experience? Blow him away. Send him back to Japan telling everybody about how great the Detroit Tigers were. I don't think that's a terrible strategy. Now, I don't think that can be the only guy that they sign off of that list, 
But at the same time, if you do have an underlying strategy, I don't think it would be a bad idea to bring him in. And if you got to move him to the bullpen, you got to move him to the bullpen fine. But I think it's an interesting way of looking at it, especially considering the fact that they want to tap into Japan more than they have in the past, which has been like not at all. So that's got to change. All right. Well, I, I I had a list of six pitchers here. He was number five. I'm a fan. Also has a great split. Struggled with health the last couple years, but when healthy, really consistent, He's a really pitcher. competitive. Yeah. So, and has pitched in the division. I I like I said. I I like the idea. I think it's a really good idea. So let's go over my six, which are pretty close to yours. So we got Imanaga at one for me. The second one, hopefully we won't talk about it for a long time, but we got to address it. Got to have a discussion about it. Trevor Bauer. Yeah. I mean, he's somebody you got to talk about because he's out there and he's on the market and he wasn't criminally charged. And, and I mean, yeah, like there's a backstory there with him, of course. I mean, this is a guy who hasn't pitched in the big leagues since 2021 because of, you know, some off the field stuff that went down with sexual assault allegations and he was suspended by Major League Baseball. He was cut by the Dodgers and but look, like the LA, you know, County District Attorney's Office, they didn't file criminal charges due to a lack of evidence in the case. Say what you want about him, you know, in the clubhouse, you know, off the field. There's a lot of mixed reviews from his former teammates. Some of that could be, you know, jumping on the bandwagon of of dragging him. Some of that could be, you know, trying to play nice to the guy. I don't I I it's hard to read through you know, kind of those lines and, and, and toe that line, right? And figure out, hey, what's real and what's not real. We've heard guys like Mookie Betts, you know, sing his praises. We've heard other guys, you know, say that he wasn't a, a great guy in the clubhouse. So I don't know if he's a perfect fit for Probably. the Tigers. I don't know if anybody is going to consider signing him. But again, we're in this, again, this is Major League Baseball, right? Teams want to win. Teams are going to do whatever they got to do to win. Look, let, let's let's be adults here. Probably not a real good guy. But at the same time, and we're talking to somebody who goes into a baseball clubhouse a hundred and more than that, probably 210 days a year, including spring training. I think, you know, we're never going to name names, but I think you would feel comfortable in saying there are quite a few not really great characters that, that are professional baseball players in clubhouses. Because not only do you go into the Tigers clubhouse, you go into right. visiting clubhouses. So, You'd all be very naive to think if there's a bunch of choir boys playing in the major <laughs> leagues because there's not. There's a lot of bad guys who are and pretty good baseball players. It's the same with every profession, right? I mean, and, there's also some great sports writers correct. who are, you know, jerks, right? And there's also some great sports writers who are really nice guys. So, like, it, it's the same for everything. Correct. So, if we're going to moralize what a terrible guy Trevor Bauer is... Uh, I understand, and I respect that. At the same time, I think the biggest obstacle to signing Trevor Bowers probably Marion Illich, but it doesn't mean they won't. And I also think of anybody that you could sign, he's got probably the most upside, the highest degree of being consistent, likely of being consistent, and C, the most trade value if he was good and the team was bad. I'll leave that discussion with hey, the Hey, one more thing about Bauer For really all quick. Of you, I want to I want to mention go, one more thing too. It's like this is a guy at the beginning of his stint in Japan. I found this to be very fascinating. He really struggled in Japan because he was trying to throw fastballs up in the zone right when he got there. And the way that, you know, Japanese hitters are, they're able to get to those pitches more often than pitches down in the zone. And I thought it was very interesting to see how he struggled throwing at the top of the zone, which has kind of been his bread and butter, right? Fastballs up. You know, he'll he'll take you to town. But when he started to go down in the zone, that's when things started to change for him. And he was really, really good. You know, kind of the final 15, 16 games that he had in Japan, he pitched 24 games over there, had a 2.59 ERA, but he was really good, really good at the end, especially when he started to pitch down in the zone. I found that, you know, kind of in-season type of adjustment to be very fascinating and pretty encouraging for any team that might actually be interested in signing him is, you know, yeah. this guy is able to he, make adjustments. He was up, yeah, he was up to 97, 98 too. I'll, I'll leave you with this little tidbit about Trevor Bauer. For all of you that think he's inconsistent, in the time frame of 2016 to 2021, I ran a little data dive last night. Ninth highest pitcher in war, top 10 in innings, top 10 in ERA, average over 10 strikeouts per nine. So you can say whatever you want. Uh, the guy gets people out. He wins games. He goes deep. 
And, you know, it's something worth considering. I'll tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to, because we've run so long here, we have so many things to talk about. We've got Chris coming up. We're going to take a fast break. We'll be right back. We'll go over a couple other pitchers, and then we'll get to Chris Castellani. We'll be back. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd like to welcome uh, Chris Castellani from Barstool. He does typically videos and recaps of every Tiger game. Not to mention a bunch of other things for Barstool, covers movies. What else do you do, Chris? A lot of writing, a lot of writing, a lot of blogging, whatever I can get my hands on at this point. Basically, every thought that comes into my head, I'm writing a few hundred words about it at this point. So yeah, as much as I can do with the time that I have, which is plenty at this point. Well, we're excited to have you. We we got a few topics we want to cover. It's the off season. It's, it's the fun season. It was a pretty awesome Lions game today. Did you catch the Lions game today? It was a fantastic Lions game. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm just about to get my tickets for Thanksgiving too, man. That first Lions Thanksgiving game I've ever gone to. Best Lions team probably of my lifetime, definitely of my lifetime, I would say. So yeah, no, they're having fun. That was that was a, that was a whale of a game today. In the, hey, in Chris, I'm sixty seven. I'm sixty seven mm-hmm. years old. This is the best Lions team of my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only one. The only one that came close just because this story isn't finished was maybe 14. But like, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. Like it, in terms of where we're at right now, where they're at in the division, it's got, it's got to be yeah, near the top. For, yeah, for, me, for me, it's 1991, but uh, it's when they, when they beat Dallas in the playoffs. But it's, mm-hmm. you know, when you <laughs> how about go, going for it on fourth down five times today, that was, <laughs> how about go, that last oh one stunned me. That last one stunned it's, me. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the, the weird refuse to lose riverboat gambler kind of guy. It was a lot of fun today. All right, so let's get into some Tiger yeah. stuff. Tigers hired Jason Benetti this week, arguably one of the four best baseball broadcasters in the world. We had Matt Shepard for three plus years. You know, give me give me your thoughts about that. Stunned. Shocked, overwhelmingly happy were the first things that came to mind. I was, I had just gotten back from the gym. A buddy of mine texted me just in all caps and said, dude, Jason Benetti, my, my friend had lived in Chicago for a long time. I couldn't believe it. Blown away by it. I think it's tremendous hire. You know, it's one of those weird things, man, because I was talking to some people about it. It has, it has zero impact on the on-field product. And yet I, I've seen people celebrating this as if it is a big free agent signing. I mean, I think he's going to be worshipped here. You know, he, the guy, and I was uh, watching the Washington-Utah game on Saturday just for him, really. The guy comes prepared, did a great job in Chicago with the White Sox, which was the big reason why I was so surprised, is I know he's a Chicago guy. I know in many ways that was his dream job, taking over for Hawk Harrelson. Did a great job with, with Steve Stone there, but Tigers ponied up. And so I was surprised by it, remarkably excited for it. And I can't wait to see what he offers. I think that's a really just a tremendous move on the organization's part. Yeah. So, so Chris, for fans out there who maybe, you know, are more casual fans, right? Or they just watched the Detroit Tigers and all they've seen for the last like five seasons is Matt Shepard. How much of a difference is there going to be? I mean, I mean, how much more watchable are games now? Because you're somebody who has watched every game, you know, for, for forever, almost, it seems like, right. And you've gotten to experience Matt Shepard for five years and now you're going to get to experience Jason Benetti. Like what's your excitement in that as somebody who gets to watch every single game? And then how pumped up should fans be about the, the difference between those two? Well, as a fan of baseball, I'm much more excited about it because I love how analytically minded Jason Benetti is. I think that's something that, even going back to, to Rod Mario, was something that often had a tendency to lack is that there was kind of bare bones analysis where Benetti, you're going to hear to him talking about weighted runs created plus. You're going to hear him talking about wins above replacement, the kind of stuff that you know a baseball nerd like me looks into. But I also think just in terms of chemistry with the other broadcasters, the game's just going to be way more 
accessible. And I like I don't want to rip the the previous regime, but honestly, like having watched White Sox games, having watched Benetti do college basketball and and, and football, there's going to be a preparation uh, that he's going to come with. Uh, and I think also, you know, sometimes uh, a, a crutch that the previous regime ran into is that they almost relied too much on the color commentators at points with, with the, uh, you know, so many questions being asked. I think Benetti's going to take this thing by the reins. I think he's going to have a good chemistry with, I know Craig Monroe is back. Have they said, are they bringing in another color commentator? Or is that undecided? They're keeping everything under wraps right now. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the typical fast. Yeah, okay. Cause I've heard, I've heard conflicting reports about that, but no, I, I think fans, I, I, and I've told people, they, they should be very excited about this. The guy's been a pro for a long time. Great personal story as well. I, I think he's going to be fantastic. And I know, I, I think a lot of people are going to be, are going to be tuning in Tiger games more, more frequently this year because he's on the broadcast. You know, I, I, I don't know if you guys remember, but if you've ever heard Gibby do either a national game now, which he does from time to time on Saturdays when they do a Fox game that they just kind of cannibalize one of the local color guys or, you know, prior to this when he did, you know, more prominent national games. Gibby's actually great when he's not with Matt Shepard. He brings a lot of analytics. He brings a lot of, you know, things that he used to think about in the dugout as manager. And he just basically the last two years got so far away from that with partnering with Matt and talking about hunting and their dogs and all kinds of anything that had nothing to do with a baseball game, you know, I'll be excited to see what Gibson can bring to the table next year with Benetti. And you can almost guarantee yourself that Gibson will be doing, you know, between 25 and 40 games. I'll be shocked if he's not part of that mix. They're not going to stop using him now. The question is, who are they going to add for, you know, the the other color commentators. I, I assume Monroe, I'm not guaranteeing you, though, that Monroe is going to either not be on the radio or not be at the desk this year. I'll be curious to see who does the other. Well, I'd be I'd be shocked if he's desk or radio. He, he seems like he's going to be in that in that color seat more often than not, I would have to think. But again, I think a lot of this stuff is still up in the air. Again, when you hire a guy like Jason Benetti, I think you, you probably got to ask him, what do you think? And I think that's when things are going to be finalized. I, I think you don't make a hire like that unless you're going to sit him down and really allow him to dig into, you know, not only does what he think about, you know, these individuals, but like, you know, run him some tape of, you know, Craig Monroe and Matt Shepard, you know, run him some tape of Gibby and Matt Shepard, right? Like give him a feel for what these guys are going to bring. And I'm sure he knows to an extent, but at the same time to really allow him to dive into, you know, what are these guys going to bring to the broadcast, you know, day in and day out. I think there's some well, value. In I that. think it's an upgrade to say the least. All right. Let's get into some baseball stuff with Chris. Chris, Mark Canna, what's your, what, what's your feeling yeah. about that? I'm a fan of the move. It's one of those things, and I've, I've talked about this, you know, ad nauseum with this lineup is that I, I, I think that with Green, Carpenter, and Torkelson or any assortment of the bunch, I think that's a solid, I, I believe in the, in the ceiling in those guys. I think there's a solid middle of the order there that you can, that you can build around. What is holding this lineup back so consistently, I mean, over the last several years, but it was even more so noticeable last year when they started winning a few games is that, you know, it's one of the reasons they struggled so much with guys on base is that there's just too many guys in the line lineup who don't give you productive at-bats, who are those automatic outs, who are swinging at pitches out of the zone. Canna's not a world beater, and, and AJ will do his thing, and he'll platoon him when necessary, and he'll move him around the diamond when necessary. I, th I think one of the big reasons why Scott Harris got him is that versatility. Evan and I talked about it uh, relatively recently. I think that they are they do not want to have one set DH next year. I think they want to move DHs around. If Riley needs a day off, if Tort needs a day off, Kerry, they, they want to move these guys around and, and keep them fresh. I think with somebody like Canna, He's a guy that you can put you know, probably with this line, probably in that fifth or sixth spot, but he's a good on-base guy. He's going to see a lot of pitches. Probably won't have the power numbers, especially at this park that's going to blow people away, though he has played a big ballpark uh, for the most part throughout his career. Power numbers saw a bit of an uptick in that small sample size in Milwaukee. I don't know how much of that was legit or not, but I like he's going to draw walks. He's going to get on base. The one thing I appreciate about what Harris has done so far with the players he's acquired is that, in general, he's been pretty consistent with the caliber of player he wants to bring in. He's, I mean, he's talked about it from the beginning. He wants guys who dominate the strikes on the problem is when he got here, there weren't a whole lot of guys like that on the roster. And, and so he's kind of had to, to piece this thing together. I really like the move. I, cause it's, it's, it's a simple thing where I look at this free agent market and unless you're going to do something crazy like splurge on Otani, which I just don't see him doing, there's not a whole lot of great 
elite bats that I trust and say, okay, well, if you sign this guy to a six-year deal four or five years from now, they're still going to be productive. You know, there's kind of some concerns. Somebody, you know, even with somebody like Bellinger, who I like, like what version of him are you going to get? I think the trade market is a really neat opportunity for them to add a few guys that might not be here long-term, might only be one or two-year guys, but will make the team better and allow uh, guys like Colt Keith and and Justin Henry Malloy not to be blocked, but also continue to develop. So I like it. I like it. It's not not a great player, not a world-changing you know player, but I think that he's he's had a solid major league career, and I think he's going to continue to give or put together productive at-bats for this team. You mentioned two names, Colt Keith, Justin Henry Malloy, Jace yeah. Young, probably in that mix as well. You have younger guys like Wenzel Perez, who, by the way, is still, de- is still dealing with back issues. That really concerns me. But point is, you have some of these young guys that are on the roster. Are, are you someone that can buy in and believe in this idea of let the young guys play, give them opportunities, don't block them. Like, like, again, this has been going on for a really long time. The Tigers haven't been competitive in a long time. And I think fans out there are kind of screaming from the rooftops, you know, win now, win now, spend on Matt Chapman, spend on Cody Bellinger, do whatever you got to do to get in. Can you take another year of this wait and see type of approach that honestly, it's kind of been wait and see for the last like four years. Now, Scott Harris is opposed to Al Avila. Right. Well, and that speaks to the issue that I I mentioned from the beginning when Scott Harris was brought in here is that he's going to operate on a different timeline than the fans are because he's waited two years, whereas we waited seven or eight. That has nothing to do with him. I mean, he he got here uh, in, in August of, of uh, 2022 just trying to put this thing together. I am fine with that. And the reason I'm fine with it and maybe wasn't fine with it three, four years ago is I have such a greater faith in Scott Harris's system and his player development than I did with Avila and, you know, the people that he employed at the time. And I think that that was reflected. What the fans understandably might be a little bit concerned about is they don't want a repeat of what we saw with so many of the young guys that came up through Avila's system where they either got injured in the case of the pitchers or struggled like somebody like Torkelson did. I think that I trust the timetable right now with Scott Harris. And I trust that it's that they will call them up when they're ready. And, but as he said before, not just ready to play, ready to contribute, you know, the, the the sheen of seeing these guys here wears off pretty quickly if the OPS is like 500. You know, they, they want them to be here putting together productive at-bats, driving in runs. I think that, you know, adding somebody like Canna allows for them to marinate a little bit more down in the minor leagues, especially Henry Malloy, just because he's, I think they, they still, they, they're uh, trying to convert him mainly to an outfielder. So yeah, no, I, I, with this regime, I have no problem with it. It is a wait and see approach, but for the time being, I'm willing to give them benefit of the doubt that this player development development system is going to be substantially better than the previous regime. For sure. Well, I think I think we do need to address the fact that the player development regime is pretty much intact from the last year of Avila and he hired Ryan Garko and really the Ryan, you know, aside from from adding Robin Lund at the major league level, a lot of these player development guys actually were hired under Avila and they've just had time to work on it. So I, I don't know if we can Well, I don't don't sleep on and Mark, don't sleep on AJ Hinch's influence right. and all that too. I mean yeah. he's he's there's been a lot of things that have been orchestrated by AJ. So it, it's what I really you know I this is something Evan and I talk about every week, Chris, which is what what I really want to see from Scott Harris is a little more urgency to win. I describe it a little more colorfully, but you know, look, if you're if you're afraid to make moves and you're afraid to fail in the moves that you make, you're probably going to be fired in year four. So, you know, as far as being patient with Scott Harris, if they win 75 games again next year, you'll see how patient the fan base is with the guy. He's gonna have to step up, get a little creative in the trade market. It's terrible hitter free agency market. It's pretty interesting, a little more interesting in the pitching department. It gets really interesting next year in the starting pitcher department. But, you know, look, the Tigers have a lot of similarities to the Diamondbacks, and it's not, you know, in a division that 85 to 88 wins very well could mean a playoff berth. It seems kind of foolish that they wouldn't try to figure out a way 
to give themselves a 50% chance to get to 85 to 80 to 88 wins. So we'll see how aggressive Scott Harris is in trying to do that. So, but Mark, isn't, isn't this exactly what it was with Eduardo Rodriguez though? Right. I mean, I mean, Scott Harris went into those negotiations and he, and he could have negotiated with Eduardo Rodriguez, but he stuck to his guns on the 49 million, let the process play out. And obviously Eduardo Rodriguez walked away with it. That's kind of my question for Chris is like, where were you kind of entering this past week in terms of, I don't know, like, can you put a percentage on it? Like what, what percent did you think Eduardo Rodriguez was going to maybe opt into that contract knowing, you know, the way that he's talked about Detroit, like, I guess, were you blindsided at all by it? For me and my, my standpoint, I was not shocked at all by it, but I'm curious, just generally speaking, outside looking in, were, were you shocked at all by his decision? Was there any part of you that maybe was holding on to hope that he would opt in? Did you like how Scott Harris handled the lack of nego- or negotiations or lack thereof with not really budging off of that three years, 49? Are you pissed now that, that, that Eduardo Rodriguez says he'll consider West Coast teams? Like, wh- where are you at across the board on Eduardo Rodriguez as a whole? Zero percent surprise. I I figured he would opt out. I expected him to opt out. I honestly, his performance in the second half of the season, I don't think even mattered. I think that that month, two months that he gave them to start the season, I think he was he was planning on opting out from the start. I have no issue with the lack of of renegotiation. Quite frankly, I, I and look, Erod is a fine pitcher. And had he have opted in, I would have said, okay, cool. Like uh, that, that's another piece in your rotation. But with him opting out, considering everything that's happened, I just, I, I think that this is the right move for both parties. As far as him, you know, saying that there's no geographical restrictions, it's annoying. Like, and I, as a fan, I made a video about it because yeah, it's frustrating. Like I, I just, I, that whole saga to me was so bizarre. And, and I just, I do kind of in hindsight question, like, you know, where's, where's his head at with this? Be, because I, I just, I, you know, he had an opportunity to go to LA for two months. He didn't. Okay. That's his prerogative. He signed the contract, whatever. But I, I really think that I think it's more so a negotiation tactic. I, to, I think he'll probably still say, stay East coast. We'll see what Angelos does, but I think a team like Baltimore would be a good fit for him. But really I, I actually, and th- even going back to the Avila era to a certain extent, just because I'm such a fan of Chris Fetter, I, I'm, I like where the rotation is at right now. Now, of course, free agency, you can add, and, and I don't want to add this guy, but a, Get a guy who can give you what Michael Lorenzen gave you last year. You know, a, a, a one-year deal, two-year deal for a veteran pitcher. I know you guys brought up Maeda right before the break. That could be a guy that I like. I think they could do something with. And I'm, I believe in the young guys here as well. Mize will be, you know, I, I still think Mize will be good, but of course he's coming off of Tommy John. There's some, there, you know, there's some question marks there. I think Scoobal's going to be one of the best pitchers in the American League, if not all of baseball. I, I think he's going to have a monster season. Saw Young watch. Yeah, I, I know I'm with you. I mean, I, th- I don't think that last month was a fluke. Manning, I know, has been brought up in potential trade talks. I wouldn't be against that. If you're going to bring in a solid bat, I don't know what kind of uh, return Manning would get, but he still kind of feels like he's been around forever. He is only still 26 years old or about to go into his age 26 season. So you could sell that as, hey, you know, has a lot of years left on that deal. You know, not maybe not a ton of mileage on the arm. And I, I like results as well. And then you can add in free agency. So to me, if I felt like the rotation was severely lacking in depth, I felt like they would have probably had to fall at Eduardo Rodriguez's feet and maybe renegotiate or offer him a bigger deal. But to me, he's going to get, he, he bet on himself with that opt out. He pitched the best baseball of his career in April and May of last year. And he's going to end up probably getting a way more, a way bigger contract than he probably deserves. That's the free agent market. He deserves credit for test or for not testing it, but going into it. But to me, I'm not, I'm not lamenting the fact that Eduardo Rodriguez is not going to be here next year. It's considering everything that's happened. All right. Let's move on to. Javi Baez. So uh, just just to preface this, we talked quite a bit about it in this particular pod. We know a few things. We got a pretty good idea of what his workout regimen's going to be and who he's going to work with this offseason, but not a personal favorite of you, Chris. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, well, let me, okay, first of all, I'm a content creator. So like I have fun with the bit just because he's an insane, he provides us with a plethora of memeable and gift worthy moments of him swinging at junk. But no, look, I have, I, I think sometimes, and I brought this up in videos and sometimes people just overlook it. I, look, I have nothing against the guy personally. And the thing is, unlike some other people, like if he performed, great, awesome. Like I, I, that's just how I feel. Like you play, you don't play well, then you play well, then I'm going to start saying nice things about you. That's just like how, how I roll. Like it was, I'm a Michigan football fan. Wasn't crazy about Jim Harbaugh. They started winning. All of a sudden, I felt a lot better. As far as hobby is concerned, where they're at, look, I, 
you could, I, I don't know where the body's at. Evan and I talked about that a little bit. I do think there's been some deterioration there. He's played, you know, he's been in the league, gosh, I, I think probably around 10 years now since he's been called up. Uh, I don't think that he, the power or the ability is there the way that it was. What is just so baffling to me is just how it seems to me like he's gotten worse. And I, maybe the metrics don't support this, but eye test wise, it seems like he has gotten worse to me in terms of how much he chases, the pitches he chases at, which would be okay, but he's not even crushing mistakes anymore. And that to me makes me think it might be more mental than it is physical. So like I know that, and Evan wrote a very good article about like kind of what their plan is with Hobby, what they're trying to do with him and have this organizational overhaul. I think so much of it is between the ears with him because we see him make spectacular defensive plays and then he'll spike throws in the ground to Torkelson. We'll see him hit a home run, then he'll go for four with four strikeouts. I, I He's a very difficult player to get a gauge on. I, to me personally, at this point, I've given up on the idea of him ever returning to anything close to where he was. E- even that little run with the Mets. Like I, I just think he, he's destined to be a guy that's probably going to drive us crazy. Now, the defensive metrics are good. You can put him near the bottom of the lineup, hopefully at some point, and you can just be, I mean, just mildly productive in that in that spot in the order. I can just kind of live with it. But to me, I've accepted, much similar to where Zimmerman was after the second year of his deal, like I've accepted that this is a disaster. It's just a matter of, you know, how much are you willing to kind of cut off the bleeding here? I just, I just don't know where, where you can go. I don't think he's going to be willing to change. And if he does, I don't know how offensively if he has the ability to still put up really good productive numbers for a team, but I guess time will tell. Hey, I'm going to leave you with this, Chris, because it does kind of fall into the hobby bias category, but also a bigger picture as well, right? American League Central title chances, right? How mm-hmm. much for 2024 does hobby bias maybe determine mm-hmm. the Tigers' chances? A good hobby bias or a better hobby bias versus the hobby bias that we've had now. How much does that play into your feelings on if the Tigers can win the central? And even aside from hobby bias, is there any hope? Yeah. Well, look, if they somehow get a good hobby bias, it does change how I feel about the team. I mean, if, if hobby goes all of a sudden just being like a three war shortstop, I'm like, man, we're like, and not an automatic out in that lineup, power numbers back up a little bit, like seeing the ball a bit better, hitting mistakes. I'll be excited. Like, I'll be like, oh, wow, this this could be a team that that is is more likely to win the Central. In terms of their overall kind of projection here, look, it's, it's similar to how I felt two years ago at this time. Problem was two years ago at this time, it turned out to be way more Fugazi because that 2021 team got a lot of really good production or like career best production out of some veterans. But at the time, and it's crazy how much things fell off at the time we looked at the white Sox in that lineup and or in that division and said, okay, that's kind of a scary team fell apart. But in the moment I'm like, I feel like this is their division for a few years. The twins are going to be good. They'll easily be the, the tiger's biggest competition in the central. But the way I view the twins, I feel like it's been this way really for the last uh, seven, eight years for them. Maybe, maybe, maybe a little less. There's a lot of variance. I feel like they are every bit as likely of winning 92 games as they are winning uh, winning 78. You know, they're they just got, if not a career best season, one of the best seasons out of Sonny Gray. He's hitting the free agent market now. You know, some of the guys that you got big production out of in the latter part of last season have had some injury issues. Correa's had some injury issues. So to me, I'm, I think they will have a shot. Right now, do I look at the roster and say this roster is winning the division? Uh, no, just because I think there's a little bit too much inexperience in the rotation, in the back end of that rotation. And ultimately, I just don't think the lineup is good enough. But with one or two more trades, and we'll see what happens in free agency, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. I really, just because I look at the way that the you could brought up the Diamondbacks, I think that's a perfect example. No, the Diamondbacks, Diamondbacks misfortune came from the fact that they play in a really tough division. There's no Dodgers in this division. You know, there's no there's no 100 win team that the Tigers are going to be looking up at for the next three years. And I th- I hope the can- the Canna trade is the first domino here of them realizing like there's there's not a World Series window that can open this year, but I think there's definitely a division championship window that can be open this year with, with the with the right moves. Because even last year, as you know, and look, it's it's silly to to celebrate 78 wins as if it's, you know, something super meaningful, but they had so many injuries, so many injuries to their pitching staff. They had injuries to the pitching staff coming into the season. I think you roll the dice again. I don't see that happening. I think that was a borderline worst case scenario with a lot of these guys. You've added a little bit more depth. You can do that in free agency as well. I think they're going to be playing meaningful baseball deep into the year. I, I, I really do. 
Well, let's hope so. They actually played meaningful baseball into September is kind of boom. That's <laughs> yeah. technically true. Border, yeah, because borderline just, good yeah. as they were. All right. Look, Chris, we're, we're yeah. running up against it from a time standpoint. We loved having you. We really hope that once we start the baseball season next year, we can come, you can come back. We can spend a lot more time together. We can discuss in season things as opposed to off season things. We would like to tell you how much we appreciated having you on. Remember, you can uh, find Chris at Barstool Sports. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him where else, Chris? Uh, my Twitter is linked to everything at Castellani2014. Instagram is ChrisCastle95. And yeah, just go to Barstool, search my name in the blogger page. Everything comes up. Trying to write multiple blogs a day. A lot of Detroit-based stuff. So you can look forward to a lot of good Lions and Tigers content. Hopefully coming down the pipe here soon. Should be fun. All right, my man. Have a good day. Have a good Thanksgiving. Have a good holiday. We really appreciate you hanging with us. Thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, of course. I'll talk to you guys later. That was Chris Castellani, Barstool Sports. Always a lot of fun. A lot of things to say. Like I said, you can check him on Twitter, on Barstool. Had a lot of interesting takes. We're going to get back to our stuff. But first, we're going to take our last break. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, I want to just touch on a couple more pitchers who we both think the Tigers are going to consider. Some we like, some we'll debate a little bit about. But I think at the top of our list, after the first couple we've mentioned, you know, has to be Frankie Montas, who is uh, a recent as two years ago, we discussed becoming a Tiger in a trade with Oakland when they were shopping him to the Yankees. During that season, he got hurt. The previous probably two years, he was pretty outstanding, finished sixth in the Cy Young Award. Up to 96, you know, he's had multiple injury concerns, once was suspended for steroids for 80 days, but has some great, great stuff and is a wild card, but a pretty interesting wild card. Tell, tell me what you think about him. Yeah, I love Frankie Montas. He's actually at the top of my list. Among any other pitchers that we have talked about, he is the guy that I think the Tigers need to go out and get. And that's right. This is where I think, truthfully, payroll is going to be in their favor, right? Because... There are no restrictions on payroll at this point. A long-term deals, right? They don't want to go that avenue yet, which is understandable. But if you can get Frankie Matas on a one-year deal and you have to go north of $12, $13 million, fine, go do it. That's, that's, that's great. That's fine. Like, I don't think that's an issue. And that's where I think they can really take advantage of where they're at financially, considering their plan of going after these one-year candidates, you know, bounce-back candidate-type pitchers. Frankie Montas is perfect. I think if you could guarantee health and you could guarantee his pre-injury form, I think he is probably a top three, probably a top three pitcher in this market. I, I think there's Yoshimoto Yamamoto, Blake Snell, maybe Aaron Nola, and then Frankie Montas. That's how I look at it. If you could guarantee the health and the pre-injury form. Now, obviously, he has shoulder surgery. That's a problem because shoulder sometimes is almost worse than the whole Tommy John thing, right? When you have Tommy John, you know, the big question is command. It's not as much velo. The shoulder, maybe a little bit more of, you know, velocity type questions. But this is a guy who came out and he pitched September 30th to the New York Yankees, came back and just pitched in one game in the 2023 season to show he could do it. And he got four outs coming out of the bullpen. Fastball was 94.8, so basically 95. He also featured his other his other four pitches, splitter, sinker, cutter, slider. I think he's getting a high-value one-year deal loaded with incentives. There is one thing that I think that Frankie Montas might be able to do to improve his market, and that's wait until spring training, throw bullpens for interested teams. If you can show that you're hitting 96, 97, while also flashing your other pitches, I think there are certain teams that might consider a longer-term contract to lock him up under market value if he's showing that velocity and ability to locate all of his other pitches. But 
if he doesn't go that route and he's looking for a one year bounce back deal to land a huge contract, you know, coming off of next season, I, I think the Tigers have to be in on Frankie Matas considering what they're looking for. He is either an elite trade candidate or he's an elite starting pitcher that the Tigers will have in their clubhouse that they can lock up and, and keep long-term if they want to. So that that's the guy who's number one on my list. I, I think you got you got to look at Frankie Montas and you got to go after him, but there are other names too. Luis Severino can be really good when healthy. Alex Wood is another interesting candidate. Now he was a little bit of a split role. He was split between the, the, the starter role and the reliever role with the Giants. He hasn't really been great the last two years, but the Giants with Scott Harris as, as the general manager took a chance on him in January of 2021, one year, $3 million contract. The Giants were one of the only teams that wanted to take a chance on his medicals and it ended up paying off. Maybe Scott Harris wants a reunion there. So I, I think that group, Severino, I think Montas, Alex Wood. I mean, those are all interesting candidates to look at. I think James Paxton is another one that I like. He's had so many injury issues, but I mean, look, the guy throws 95 that tops out at 98 high with secondary pitches, consistent release points. There's a lot to like about Paxton when he's healthy, but among those pitchers, Mark, the, the Severinos, the Paxton's, the Woods, you know, the Montas, right? Like where are you at with those I, I would pitchers? say you and I have talked about this. We are a hundred percent in agreement about Frankie Montas. We're going to, we're going to speculate. He's at the top of my list to speculate on. That's a guy, as we discussed earlier, I make sure I have an option for a second year on because if he's healthy, he can be really, really, really good. Yeah, he might not want that option, though. That's, that, yeah, that's we'll the see. point. I think more of a guy that you throw an option on, though, is Tyler Molly. And that's another Tyler guy Molly's that I not going to on my list. Know, I don't necessarily think he's which is why he would take the team which is why he would take the team option though because he's not going to be coming back until late july 2024 coming off of tommy john and it would almost benefit him to take a team option that sure was a little bit more of his value but you could take a a, a low deal for 2024 you know high incentive team option for 2025 and if you show that you're healthy throughout the entire 2025 season then you're ready to go back into free i'm not going to worry about guys like tyler molly i got enough to worry about trying to be competitive in 2024 and you know the one thing the tigers do have some depth about and you can never have enough of it but is starting pitching depth you know Luis Severino probably after Montas my second choice I'm not sure he threw more than three good starts in the entirety of 2023 which is really strange because he's been really really good for the Yankees when he's been healthy prior to that one of those starts was against the Tigers and he was just dominating in that start I have a lot of I have a he lot of so confidence good. that London Fetter and Nieves would do a lot of good things with Luis Severino. I doubt he'd sign for more than a year. He's probably a $15 million speculation. And I got to think Frankie Montas is probably $10 million with incentives up to 15 So, you know, it's a question of what Scott Harris wants to do. Not real big on Alex Wood. I think he's Matthew Boyd Jr. pretty much. And as far as James Paxson goes, not real reliable to stay healthy for more than five, five starts at a time. So not really on my my viewing list here. So anyway, been been a pretty exciting week. It was fun to have Chris on. We hopefully will start seeing some rumors percolate. And of course, we have the Dick Tracy of investigating rumors and all kinds of other things. And Evan Petzold, who's talking to people all the time. You got anything percolating that you think the Tigers are in the middle of from a trade standpoint? You hearing any things? You don't have to be specific. I'm just curious if you're hearing any rumblings on anything. Yeah, we'll see what happens when it comes to trades. I mean, those things are really hard to push across, you know, when you're looking at one front office and the other front office trying to get a deal done. Anything can happen at any time. As we saw with the Mark Canna deal, that had a little bit more of a timeline on it because the Brewers were going to have to make a decision on the player option. I think anything else moving forward might take a little bit of time, but you know what? You never know. As for free agent stuff, a lot of that is going to take time as well because right now it's, we're just coming off the GM meetings. A bunch of agents were there. They were just getting a feel for, you know, what different teams were interested in, what they might want to do, you know, what players they could be be interested in, what types of players they're going after. 
Tigers being, you know, bounce back pitchers on one year deals, other teams looking to, you know, lock up players with big time contracts. It's a lot of feeling out at that point. And then it's going through, okay, what's actually the best fit for the player, both financially and also, you know, coaching staff wise and what they're going to be able to have resources to when they're there. So we'll see. A lot of that stuff is is kind of up in the air. But yes, always digging, trying to figure out what's going on. But right now, it just seems like it's a little bit of wait and see. One thing that is coming up, though, is November 14th. That's Tuesday. By 6 p.m., the Tigers are going to need to protect players eligible for the Rule 5 draft by adding them to the 40-man roster. The Tigers already protected right-hander Kyder Montero because he was an impending minor league free agent. So they've already added him to the 40-man roster. Next up, it's going to be Dylan Dingler and Wilmer Flores. Those are the two guys to look for on Tuesday that are pretty much guarantees to be locks when it comes to being added to the 40-man roster. Dingler, a catcher. Flores, a right-handed pitcher. There are some other names that stand out. Left-hander Andrew Magno looks kind of interesting. I think he could be a potential add. Um, But aside from that, I'm not sure if I see them adding, you know, a guy like Trey Cruz or Daniel Cabrera, Jose De La Cruz. I don't see them adding him. Roberto Campos is an interesting situation. I, I don't think a team really takes a chance on him, but the upside is just so high. But again, he hasn't played above the high A level. I don't know if a team really Me takes either. a chance, but but maybe they do. I, I mean, but maybe they do. So that's the thing that the Tigers have to go in and they have to evaluate, you know, what teams could take a chance on these players who are Rule 5 draft eligible. I don't think Roberto Campos is one of those guys. I see Dylan Dingler, I see Wilmer Flores, and I see maybe 50, Andrew 50. Magno as being yeah kind of a 50 50 but i see dingler and uh and flores as the lock so that's something to look for on tuesday it's also my wife's birthday so shout out to savannah happy birthday the big 27 it's going to be a good one but it's also rule five protection day yeah it'll be an interesting day i think you hit your spot on about who you thought was in the mix god knows they have plenty of players to cut they have about six so finding room for three of them should be pretty easy All right, well, another week gone, another week towards when the real fun starts, which is usually right after Thanksgiving. We'll see what happens then. I want to uh, make sure we thank our executive producers, Kirk Crawford and Anjanette Delgado. As always, I'd like to thank my beautiful grandson, Braden Michael Gorosh, and former partner, Evan Petzold. I'd like everybody going, peace. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.